how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Great people, and it's lovely to be here with you worshipping. I feel the Lord's been really with us. The other thing I felt I, I just had to say, because we began singing that lovely song, uh, the one about the crosses in the field. Um, that was actually a, an ancient hymn that, um, Godfrey Bertel rewrote or, you know, and made it available for today because he thought it was brilliant. And it was great, but, you know, when we first used to have it on the screen, we didn't have such meticulous people who typed out those things. And so they didn't always put the punctuation in. And so there was a line which read, don't quit like men, be strong. Because afterwards, we had to say to people, could you please put a colon after don't quit? Because it's supposed to say, don't quit like men, be strong. I think Godfrey Bertel had lots of people telling him this, and he was, you know, groaning about it when he spoke to us. But um, anyway, so don't quit like men, be strong. A great song anyway. Thanks, Andy. Well, we're looking at the, this first chapter of Exodus, and um, the... The people who, I, I presume it's Henry, but it might be others, who have split up our, our, our readings over these next weeks have entitled this one, We Need a Rescue. I think that's an amazing title. We Need a Rescue, because that's definitely true of the first, the first chapter of Exodus in the story of the people of God. Because at the end of the, of the previous book in, in Genesis, we see... Well, we see during its chapters that people like Joseph, who you remember was, kid, was uh, sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers, and he was taken and sold there. And you remember the story. Because he, he was lied about by somebody who was supposed to be over him, and so he got arrested and he got put in prison. You remember that? He eventually came out of prison because they were desperate for somebody to interpret to the Pharaoh a dream the Pharaoh had had about the future. It was to do with famine and, and um, excess. First of all, um, lots and lots of fruitfulness, followed by some years of famine. And so they, uh, because the people in the prison knew that Joseph listened to God and would often get prophetic words and insight. So they, they called him out and he prophesied to the king of Egypt at that time, to Pharaoh, you remember. And uh, it was totally right. In fact, Pharaoh knew it was somehow the word of God. And so he put Joseph in charge of handling all the years of plenty before the years of famine came so that there was lots of, of storage things built so that grain was stored and the people looked after. And Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph, this Israelite, the son of, of, the, of Jacob, he, that he made him next to him in power in the whole of Egypt. You remember this story? You can read it all there in Genesis. But it's a wonderful story of how he, he put him in charge of everything and he gave him his own ring to wear to show that he had his absolute confidence. That was an extraordinary thing that the leader of Egypt that nation that, that had a totally different outlook and, and religion, that, that Joseph coming in there as a child of Jacob and a worshipper of the living God should be next alongside Pharaoh. So that's the story until we get to Exodus. By the time we get to Exodus, it's a few centuries have passed after Joseph went 
went home, if you like, went to the Lord. And in fact, if you remember, Joseph says before he died, he said to the Israelites, look, one day God's going to lead you out of Egypt, back into your own land, which God gave you. And when you do, take my bones with you, because he said, because I want to be with you all where you are when God leads you out. That's pretty amazing too, isn't it? Um, I think it was uh, Walter who mentioned about the queen, wasn't it? Um, saying that she would love the Lord to return while she's still alive because then she could throw her crown at his feet. Uh, that if the Lord returned then. Now, the Lord hasn't yet returned and we are all here and our nation now has two new leaders, don't they? We have, we have King Charles III and we have uh, Liz Truss as Prime Minister, two, it, it, all within just two or three days. That was quite extraordinary, I think. And therefore, we need to recognize that there is a bit of an extraordinary thing happening. Uh, I believe we need to hear what God has in his heart for us as a nation and as a people. Because I, I've often said this, but it's, <clears throat> I've noticed it, lots of others have, that uh, since the millennium, during the millennium year, 2000, uh, there was a lot of talk about Christianity in the papers as well. I can remember particularly the tabloids were always having things about Christianity and about people's testimony. And there was one of them was of someone, I think Roger and I had actually met her. Um, she and her husband were both doctors in Wales, in South Wales. And they, um, sorry, I just noticed that I'm, okay, that's probably all right, I'm knocking the, the um, it doesn't matter, it's okay. Um, anyway, they were both doctors, and she, when she was a girl, long before she was married, she had had a cancer in her leg, which was treated, and she recovered from it, and there was no breaking out of any more. So she was cleared for years and years and years. They had children, um, but when she was older, I think in her mid to late 40s, um, she began to have a problem uh, with her lungs and anyway they discovered that there was a growth in the chest um, which was a secondary from the cancer she'd had and when the doctors had looked into everything of it and examined it they had said to her that that um, and to her husband now they were both doctors so they knew what it meant but that there is no hope um, here of being able they tried to treat it but they said it's just too it's in a very difficult place and it's a very uh, a very virulent cancer and so, anyway, what they did, they, they obviously, she talks, uh, it, she wrote a, an article, I think, may even have been a book, but about it, saying how uh, she was trying to kind of make sure she'd talked to all her family and how long she'd got and so on. She was doing all that, and she was getting a bit stressed out. And I think it was her husband who said, because they used to go along most Sundays to a Baptist church somewhere there, in Cardiff, I think it was, not Cardiff or Swansea, forgive me, I can't remember the details, but I just remember they went to this church, which didn't make any great profession of being a church of power, but they, they decided, or somebody suggested to them, that maybe the elders of the church should pray over this woman and anoint her in the name of the Lord, because that's what we're told to do, aren't we? If you have a serious illness, then you are told, is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. I think that's amazing. I can't, I can't believe how seldom people actually follow that. I realize that every 
every sniffle we get. We may not need to do that. But when there's something a bit more serious, I, I wouldn't dream of doing anything other than calling for the elders of the church because that's what we're told to do. And that's what they did. And the elders of the church anointed this woman and prayed over her. We don't know their names or anything. But what happened was from that day, this thing just began to recede. And it just slowly, slowly, slowly went out of her body. And she was completely healed. And it was so, it was, it, the complete healing was announced in the millennium year. So uh, it was proclaimed everywhere. And the, I remember it being in one of the tabloids. There was a whole thing about it saying about this woman who'd been healed by this local church, just the elders just praying over her. That's all they saw. thought, goodness me, what was that? But it, it actually, because, why? Because I believe she was listening to God and obeying him. That's, that's really key. And the elders were doing the same, weren't they? Isn't it wonderful what God can do if we are just willing to obey him? So there's a first challenge. Anyway, um, so... What have we got here? The things we need to notice, first of all, in this chapter, I've got three things initially. First of all, Joseph's generation had died out. I've mentioned that. I think it was several, uh, several generations had gone past when Joseph had been in Egypt. It may have been only a couple. But what happened then, um, the Israelites were still in Egypt. You remember when Joseph died, it tells us that there were 70, or some versions say 75, people of his household so that's how many Israelites were there in Egypt but over the following years and generations uh, they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied until they were a great number because they were very fruitful we're told in verse 7 they were very fruitful isn't that lovely that God makes his people fruitful well he did here in Exodus and so they lived in Egypt and they became very numerous, but also we're told at various points that they were strong. So they were healthy people. And so they lived there and they, they were fruitful and they were strong. So inevitably, as we're told in verse 8, the new king of Egypt, they, they proclaimed a new dynasty, um, which was different to the old dynasty of pharaohs and the kings. We don't know exactly the circumstances of it, but it was a new king of Egypt had been proclaimed and this new king came to the throne and whereas the other pharaoh who Joseph had been under had recognized the hand of God and Joseph and honored him incredibly um, this king was the complete opposite he was very threatened by all these Israelites living in the land and growing and families getting bigger and more and more people so he was very threatened by them and therefore he began to work against them. It actually says of him that he didn't know Joseph. In other words, it seems not only did he never meet Joseph, because he wasn't in the same lifetime, but also he obviously didn't really know anything much about Joseph. The, the writer of Exodus here says that, Moses probably, because, because if he had known what God did through Joseph to rescue Egypt and to bless them, he might not have been so hostile but anyway he came to the throne he didn't know I think that's often true isn't it we often don't know what's happened in previous generations even of our own families let alone of the nation or of the world generally but the king felt threatened and so he worried about this huge increase of Israelites in Egypt and he thought they're going to join up with our enemies pretty soon and then where will we be? They'll outnumber us. He was worried about it. So what he did, um, 
was they were already working in practical ways, lots of the Israelites were, but he decided to make them more obviously slaves. And so he set taskmasters over groups of Israelites and they had to build. We're told uh, in one of these verses that they built, they built cities for Pharaoh, they built monuments, they built all sorts of things because they were made to work. Verse 14, uh, the Egyptians, oh, 13, so Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with harshness and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick and in all manner of service in the field. Uh, all their service with which they made them serve was with harshness. So obviously the the taskmasters were told to be pretty harsh on them and to make them work. Probably long hours, hard work. They, they were really oppressing the Israelites. They also would have been making it plain that they were the top dogs. And that's because they were worried that Israel might outnumber them soon. And in fact, they continue to worry because it tells us in verse 12 that the more they afflicted the children of Israel, the more the, the children of Israel multiplied. They were, just, they, they were just really healthy. We're told in another verse that they were strong as people because God was blessing them. They were strong, so they did their work. They, they did serve Pharaoh, and they did build amazing things, probably a pyramid or two. But they also, they were... They were multiplying, and the Israelite, the Egyptians were nervous of them. So the king then begins to think, what can I do about this? He was still intent on destroying the Israelites, so he commanded the Hebrew midwives to come to see him. Okay, now, we didn't read that part, but the rest of the chapter, if you're following it in your Bible, it's an interesting little bit, because... Uh, the king decides to start practicing infanticide or even possibly some kind of full-term abortion um, because he wanted to kill the Israelites. But he thought to himself, okay, well, let's just kill the males because they're the ones that are the great threat because they're strong and they work hard and they're, they're doing all this amazing work. But let, let's reduce their numbers, he thought. But the women, well, we could always use them as slaves or we can just get them doing things or whatever. They don't have to be, they are not going to be joining an army and fighting us. So, so what he did was he called the Hebrew midwives, which just two of them are mentioned. It's possible the king spoke to them because they were leading midwives or it may be just that the, the text doesn't tell us the names of any others because there were obviously other midwives because there were so many thousands of Israelites at this time. So he says in verse 15, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra and the name of the other Puah. And he said, when you do the duties of midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it's a son being born, then you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, then she shall live. That was uh, another idea the king had to try to deal with this threat of this people who were growing so greatly there. Um, I, you know, I've, for the last few years at least, I've, I've always been concerned. I just felt the Lord put on my heart as one of the things I pray about is the whole area of uh, childbirth and midwifery in this country. I've said it to people before. In fact, I was delighted to hear... Um, few months ago that uh, Jenny, um, 
Jenny uh, Orange. You remember Chris and Jenny, who used to be here. Some of you remember them. But Jenny decided to train as a midwife, so she is now a qualified midwife. And I I met her uh, at an event here, and I just said to her then, oh, I'm so pleased you're doing that, because I often pray for midwives and midwifery practices, partly because we don't always hear good news about them, do we? And there's far too many... um, bad events that happen. I don't mean people do it deliberately, but I do think there is often a need to pray. So uh, recently, um, when one of our neighbours in our road um, was pregnant with her third child, and um, she was talking to me, she told me she was really nervous about it because um, she'd had a difficulty, particularly with the first child, uh, when, when that child was born. Anyway, so when it got, it got to term, I used to lift her to the Lord. I didn't say anything about it. But she talked to me when she began to go overdue. You know how I'm sure the men are just really bored about this. Please feel free to close your ears if you like. Um, but basically, this dear woman just talked to me about the fact that she was overdue. She was at least a week overdue then. And she actually went more than that. I think it was two weeks or more. But anyway, and I said to her, you know, I'll pray for you every day. And um, she looked a bit, all right, (laughs) so, uh, but a a little bit relieved because she was worried. Anyway, I really did pray for her, Uh, and Roger and I used to pray uh, for her at nights. I used to pray in the mornings that God would guard her and guard that baby and bless that baby. And um, when she did, she texted me uh, one time in the early morning to say, the baby's been born, and he is absolutely fine. He's a beautiful baby, actually, we've seen him. But I was just thinking that when she was then talking with me later, she was actually walking with the pram with her mother-in-law, and um, she, um, they came past me, so I stopped to chat to them and admire the baby. And then she turned to her, mother, her mother-in-law and said, do you know that Faith prayed every day for this baby? And the mother-in-law said, oh, great. But I don't know what they made of it. But the reality was, I was pleased she said it, not to commend me, but because to recognize that we were invoking the Lord's help in this because it was a problem. Actually, only a couple of weeks ago, I had a phone call from one of our congregation leaders. It was still in August, you know, when everybody is away. And, um, and this person said to me, you know, everybody's away, but I'm wondering if you would pray for somebody you don't know her, but uh, she's in our congregation. And again, there's a lot of threat over this birth. So would you pray? And I said, yeah, gladly. So I prayed over the phone. And then we then continued to pray until I heard only a day or two later that the baby was born safely. So I, the reason I'm saying that is because maybe God's saying the same to you if you have a neighbor or someone who's there. Because when there's a spiritual atmosphere which is not good, I think it affects It affects the babies being born. It affects the children. Because when the enemy has free reign in the nation, he will do whatever he can to cause destruction. Isn't that true? And I feel that in our nation, we've, we've been moving away ever since the millennium when there were all those even newspaper articles about people, um, people becoming Christians and following the Lord and things that were happening 
healings and so on. But then gradually the new atheism decided to stand up and assert itself. And so there's a strong, there has been a strong uh, desire to get people back into atheism. And a lot of people have received that kind of teaching, whether in school or college or wherever, so that there is very often a kind of not yet fully committed Christian faith in some, because they're still dealing with their thoughts about maybe God doesn't really exist. And then other people uh, have embraced atheism. And it can be a real grief to, to those of us who love the Lord to see people around us that we knew as committed Christians who don't have that faith anymore. Because you know something? I believe with all my heart this is our only hope as a people, as individuals, and as a nation, as the people of God, that we really do hold into the Lord, that we look to him, we trust him. And sometimes, I, people have said this to me over, over the last couple of years, and I understand it, and it may become more so later. They've said, oh, there's just this weird thing. I just don't know where it is. I feel my faith is being affected, and, and um, I don't know what's happening. And over and over I've said to people, it's the atmosphere in the nation. There is definitely some kind of negative atmosphere. Not in everybody, of course. Praise God, we're here to worship the Lord. But there is still a, a negative sense that have probably come out from lots of atheistic things being said. And also because there's been a disapproval of the church, a huge criticism. Sometimes church leaders have brought it on the church because they have behaved abominably. There were a couple more uh, stories in the in the news this last week, although in some ways it did happen in the States and not here. The only reason I'm grateful for that is not because I don't want to bless the States. I do, but at least at least they weren't notable people here, but notable leaders of churches who just either in money, monetary things or in sexual things just totally disobeyed the Lord, acted for themselves. I just think it's so sad because, of course, people then think, oh, okay, so... It's not really real. People just do it while it suits them or something like that. Is that right? Have you ever found that with people? Well, we, we serve a living God. I believe absolutely in his power. We have seen the Lord's power many times in our lives, uh, Roger and I. And I often give thanks. Sometimes the Lord brings things back to me. And I just give thanks to him that he's so gracious, isn't he? He's, so, he's such a protecting God. Just something came to my mind then. Some years ago now, um, Roger was away, and um, I think we had Deb and Joe, who was newly married, they were living with us for a while, and so they were away as well. Everybody was away, I was just alone at home. And um, just as I was going to bed, it was just one of those crazy things, um, I thought, oh, maybe I should, um, I should make sure the dryer is turned off, because we have a basement and the washing machine's there. So I tracked down there, and then on my way back, I thought, oh, it's that a whiff of gas I smelled. And I, I had a look at the, at the boiler, because it was a gas boiler. And, and I thought, oh, it seems to be okay. But as I walked back and started going up into the main, into the first floor, I, I thought, no, I think I smelled gas. And uh, so I thought, am I just dreaming this? So I looked out of the window and saw our neighbor, who was a one... He, he wasn't a fully committed Christian, but he moved a lot towards the Lord in the years we knew him when he lived next door to us. He was a wonderful neighbor. I saw him coming home, so I popped to the front door. It was about half past 11 at night, and I said, would you mind just coming in and telling me if, if you can smell gas here? Because I think I can. 
he came in and he went down to the basement and he said, I definitely can. And then he came back up and he said, no, you need to call the back gas board, you need to turn the gas off. You know, he was, he was very, very helpful. But So I did call the gas board and they did turn out. But what they discovered was that the, it wasn't our own home thing. It was the, the pipe that came from the gas in the road into our house which passed under the, uh, in the, under the foundations and, and then uh, into the house. And what had happened was, it turned out later, that that had cracked or broken. And so all this gas was pouring into the basement of our house, the foundations. So even below where the, or east, not where, where I could go into at all. And so this guy then who came, very helpful, told me I must go and go elsewhere. I couldn't stay in. They're going to, he called the gas board and they sent... They sent people, they were working on it till three in the morning. But and then, even then, he was still trying to open all the windows to get the gas out of the house. But the reason I say that is it was a very unusual thing to happen. That doesn't happen very often. It was obviously an ancient pipe, which they hadn't renewed part of it. That was the problem. Um, but anyway, but I thought to myself, isn't the Lord gracious? Because I could have gone to bed. I was going to go to bed when this happened. Because this guy said to me, he just said, you've got someone looking after you. He said, because if you had not called us and you'd gone to bed, neither you nor the house would have been here in the morning because it was so serious by this time. And I just thought, I often think, if I don't often think of it, but if I think of it, I think, Lord, you're so gracious, aren't you? Even in, in alerting our dear neighbor to advise me rightly. Um, and I think God does want to help you with the things that trouble you because we're not living in a situation where there's lots and lots of the flow of the Spirit of God. We are among us. And that's why I really commend us coming today listening to the Lord, and also praying. We must become more and more people of prayer because we don't know how it's going to go. We've already mentioned we have a new prime minister. May she be blessed and may she bless us. We have a new king. May he be blessed and may he bless this nation. But also we have other things in the world, don't we, going on. We've got all the threats of the, of the uh, finances, but also we, we have... Uh, Russia are sort of talking at times like they could very easily chuck a nuclear bomb over and take out British Isles altogether. Um, Putin was trying to say that, of course, because he wanted uh, Brit to stop the Brits to stop criticising the Ukraine war. And when you hear that, you think, it is quite true, he could do that. Who is it who's going to protect us? The Lord. It's not, we can't take for granted anything. I believe that. I don't think we should lie awake worrying I think we should lie awake praying, okay? Just committing it to the Lord. So, when the midwives were told that they had to kill any male babies that were born, the wonderful thing is, it said they did not obey him because they feared the Lord. Because they were committed to God, they would not obey the king. That was a very risky thing for them to do because, of course, all these babies kept being preserved. So the king had to have them back to say, what are you doing? And they, they said, oh, well, they, you know, the Hebrew women give birth very quickly, so um, they've already given birth before we arrive, because presumably they were told to kill the baby as it was emerging from the womb. But anyway, um, 
I thought to myself again, they probably, what they probably decided to do was just not to attend until they thought probably the baby was born, or else they did attend and didn't, obviously. They, whatever it was, they determined they would not kill those babies because they feared the Lord. And there, because of that, we are told that the Lord rewarded them. Isn't that lovely? Therefore, the, God dealt well with the midwives because of that. And the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared the Lord that he provided families for them. He gave them families. Isn't that lovely? Families and households. He gave them a reward in relationships for everything that they had done to obey him. Pretty good, isn't it? Do you believe God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? I believe he is. And I believe he wants us to seek him more and more. I love that verse in 2 Chronicles 7. I think I get it right. Um, it's the, the Lord is saying that in times when there are catastrophes happening in the nation, including not only famine, um, but also um, um, disease and what do they call it? Uh, plagues coming into a nation to destroy it. it. He then goes on, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will deliver them and I will heal their land. I love that because there's a promise there. He will heal our land. We, Lots of us and lots of churches and wonderful Christians were praying about the COVID virus when it was threatening to take everything out. And the Lord, I did, do believe, did bring a lot of healing to our land. So I'm going to pray for us now that the Lord will help us as we become more and more people who are look, looking to him. We're not going to worry or fear, but we will look to him. We will look to him for healing for our bodies. Not that we despise medics. I'm grateful for every wonderful, faithful medic that's out there. But that just that we look to the Lord. My first response is, Lord, would you heal this? And then also, let's pray for our land and give thanks for all the good things God has allowed us to have as a nation. So, Lord, I just pray for everyone here, Lord. I pray for each one of us that we may really learn to look to you, to trust you, Lord. We give ourselves to you now. And we pray, Lord, that you will keep us alert in prayer for our nation, that we may know what we should be praying for and how we should pray. Help us to be ready to pray for others, even those who don't yet know you. Because, Lord, as we pray for them, we are inviting your spirit into their lives. And we pray, Lord, that that may have an effect on their own faith. Lord, we pray for all the children among us today and who you've entrusted to us as a fellowship. We pray, Lord, for everyone to be blessed, to be strengthened, and that, Lord, you will fill us all with that delight in the childlikeness. Lord, I thank you that every time we see the little ones and their smiles and their happiness, I pray you will cause us to bless you and to pray even more for them. We give them to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let your living word abide in me so As I abide in you, let your leave.